and turn over to the uh, Gospel of Matthew this morning, Matthew chapter 10. We find ourselves in the 24th verse of Matthew chapter 10, and uh, we just have the privilege to open up uh, this book this morning and uh, see how God will will bless us. I think it's good to read this section of Scripture, and uh, this portion of Scripture basically runs from Matthew chapter 10, verses 25, all the way through the end of chapter 10. So I want to read that for us in its entirety this morning. It's basically going to be three messages that build on this, so we won't read it every week, but I think it's good for you to receive uh, in totality what, what Jesus is saying here in its context. So, Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 24. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher, and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will be will not be revealed, and hidden that will not be known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him him who is able to destroy both the soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are more value, of more value than many sparrows. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whosoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly, I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. I believe this section of Scripture is probably one of the most dynamic and most crucial teachings of our Lord and Savior. It deals, obviously, with the subject of discipleship. This teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ on the matter of discipleship will change your life if you're open 
And your heart is open to the things of God. If you're like me, when I read through this, I get a little nervous. I get kind of shaky on things. Because there's a certain commitment level here that Jesus is expressing. And sometimes we get a little comfortable in our Christianity. Amen? And sometimes we need somebody to come along and shake us up a little bit. And that's, I think, what Jesus is doing here. It demands our attention to spend several weeks in this text. This morning, I just want to look at verses 24 and 25. And it really reflects on the responsibility of the church. As stated by our Lord Jesus Christ, dealing with discipleship. The responsibility of the church in Matthew 18, Jesus said very clearly, go and what? Make disciples. Of all nations, baptizing, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That's not an option. That's not something we do aside from, you know, the music or the, the, the uh, plays or whatever other people are doing. He said, this is what I need you to do. You go and you make disciples of all nations. And Matthew 10 basically contains the instructions, the directions on what it means to be his disciples. And I think this is so important that we understand this. To begin with, the Greek word there, translated disciple, mathetes, means learner. That's all it means. It's not a holy word. You can be a disciple of anybody. You can be a disciple of the devil. Jesus called 12 men to himself to be his disciples. And Jesus taught a group of 12 disciples. He helped them. He helped them in a myriad of ways. He helped them to grow spiritually, to mature spiritually. And the goal was that he could spend time with these 12 guys. And when the time came for him to jet out of here and take off, that they're going to be left with some substance to be able to pass that on to whoever God brings across their path. So when we talk about discipleship, it's not a cul-de-sac we're talking about. It's not a dead end. It's something that continues. It's something that we pass on to further future generations. That's what discipleship is all about. We're commanded in Scripture. Ephesians 4.12 says we are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's my primary goal as a pastor. That's our primary goal as a church in the lives of people that come to this church. We want to equip you for the work of ministry. We don't want to equip you to come and sit in church. That's not why we're here. I mean, don't get me wrong. We feel good when you come and sit in church. But that's not the primary purpose. If you're just coming and sitting in church and filling up a seat, and that's it, then you're living in disobedience to what God has called you to do, the work of the ministry. And we're going to look at this closer in the, in the coming weeks. But we need to understand, beloved, that church is not a social club. It's not an opportunity to come and check in with everybody once a week. How's the car running? Oh, it's Eagles 49ers. How about the Giants? I mean, that's fine. All that stuff goes on, and that's great. But that's not the primary purpose we meet on a Sunday morning, especially. 
The primary purpose we meet on a Sunday morning is to gather together to be taught the Word of God, to come together in corporate prayer, corporate worship, fellowship, even food. You can throw food in there. We have food in the fellowship hall afterwards. We do all those things on a Sunday morning. But if we do all those things and you leave and you haven't been equipped for the work of ministry, something's missing, something's wrong. And see, our churches have quickly turned into a spectator, consumer-driven, market-driven commodity in the society in which we live today. So when people walk through the doors of a church, they're no longer there to do something for somebody or for the church or for the Lord or for whoever. They're there to get something. How are you going to help me feel better today? How are you going to help me deal with my wife or my husband or my kids? Give me some tools to this. And it's it's basically people want, 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 want. And hopefully, if they're not involved in ministry, they're just selfishly gathering all that up for themselves. Just as a consumer would. That's not what the church is about. The church is called to come together on a Sunday to be equipped, to be built up in their faith, so that when we walk out those doors, we're walking into a lost and dying world that desperately needs to hear about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you miss that, if you, if you walk out of here without thinking that, you're, you're, you're missing the purpose God has you here. What is the goal of discipleship? The goal of discipleship is Christ-likeness. It's Christ-likeness. When when Jesus called his 12 disciples, he just didn't want some fishing buddies or some buddies to hang out in a boat. That's not what it was about. He wanted people who would come and learn of him. That's what a disciple is. A disciple is a learner. In our case, he's a learner of the teachings and the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wanted people to come and learn of him. He even said that. He said, take my yoke upon you and what? Learn of me. That's what Jesus requested. Be discipled by me. That's what he wanted out of that relationship with his 12 disciples. And if you stop and think about it, that's really what conversion is all about, isn't it? When someone comes to Christ, conversion is is identifying yourself as one who is willing to learn from the Lord Jesus Christ. All things whatsoever he has commanded. That's what a disciple of Jesus Christ is. And when you think about that definition, and you think about how it involves the conversion aspect, that's what you're doing when you're converted. You're converted from what? From your own way, the devil's ways, to God's ways. You're snatched out of the darkness and thrown into the light. Your destiny is no longer hell. Your destiny now is heaven. There's a transformation that takes place. Conversion is identifying yourself as one who is willing to learn from Jesus Christ. And the implication of that, when you want to learn something, there comes a point where you're going to have to obey what you learn, right? 
Obedience is part of the process. When you become a Christian, in fact, you're saying this, I choose to be a learner of the Lord Jesus Christ and to submit to everything that he instructs us. That's the stuff of genuine conversion. That's when people are truly transformed by the touch of God. You can't come to Jesus and say, well, gee, I want all my sins forgiven, but I don't want to do what you tell me to do. doesn't work that way. Unfortunately, our churches are full of people that think that's exactly how it works. And they got their little fire insurance, and that's all that matters. They can go out and live like whoever they want to live like. Usually, it's not like the Lord Jesus Christ. It's more like the devil. And they think it's okay. After all, you know, I got the love of God in my heart. I know Jesus. I go to church. God looks down on that and says, so what? When's the last time you obeyed what I told you to do? It's not rocket science. It's very basic. The goal of discipleship is Christ-likeness. That's what Jesus wanted us and his disciples to conform to. His likeness. It's not just meeting Jesus. It's not just falling in love with Jesus. It's affirming his lordship. It's affirming his role of a teacher in your life. It's affirming your role as a pupil who needs to be brought to maturity in Christ. The church is to produce mature disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ who can then in turn reproduce themselves. See, I know a lot of disciples who are interested in learning. I mean, boy, they're on KFAX list and everything. They got commentaries coming out the ears and Bible versions and all sorts of things. But when you stop them dead in the tracks and you say, well, who are you passing this on to? Who are you discipling? Well, you know, I have time. I just I don't have time. Well, you got time to do all this for yourself. You don't have time to pass this on to somebody else. That's what God calls us to do. There's certain commitments, and these aren't in your notes. I don't, I don't think I put these in your notes. But there's certain commitments, and they'll be up on the screen, that it takes to produce mature disciples. There's commitments, not only on the church's side, but on your side. As congregants of the church. The first commitment of a disciple is you have to be committed to God's calling. You have to be committed to God's calling. I know without a shadow of a doubt what God has called me to do in this place. It's not to hold evangelistic crusades. It's not to figure out how we can fill the church up with marketing driven technology, all this other stuff. It's not that. That's not what I am called here to do. I am called here to do one simple, basic thing. To edify the saints of God with the word of God on a consistent, weekly basis to the best of my innate ability. <laughs> I have to fulfill that calling as the Spirit of God empowers me to do that. doesn't mean I feel I can do that. I feel totally inadequate when it comes to that. But that's what God has called me to do. And so many times God calls us to do something 
that is so far above us, we feel we could never do. Because He wants us to be dependent on Him. Are you committed to God's calling in your life? See, I can control that side of it. I can control to the best of my ability with God's help to get up here Sunday after Sunday and hopefully open up the Bible, teach God's Word in a way that, you know, maybe sometimes you understand, maybe sometimes you don't, but I'm trying to be faithful to a task that God's called me to do. I'm not a gifted communicator. I, you know, I stumble, I mumble, I do all sorts of things. Kind of shy person, all that stuff. God somehow has to allow me to overcome those things and communicate clearly His Word on a weekly basis. That's what I try to do. That's what the Lord Jesus was trying to do here in Matthew 10. He's trying to communicate truth to his disciples. But he had to have open hearts to do it. You have to have open hearts to receive instruction. I mean, teaching God's word is really like a radio program. You know, you can go out here and turn on all sorts of radio programs. Last week, I was able to go over to KFAX and talk with the, 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 the director of KFAX. And we had some pastors there for a luncheon, and we were talking about different things. And they gave us a tour of the studio. Small building, not real big. And he showed us where Craig Roberts has his show and different things and all. It's kind of interesting. And he came to the controller desk, and there's nobody there. Nobody's sitting there. And yet I'm hearing stuff on the air. So finally one pastor goes, you know, what happens if something goes wrong? You know, what happens if, I mean, because there's nobody here physically. He goes, well, alarms go off and, you know, things happen and we usually run in there. It's all automated today. You don't really have an announcer sitting there giving you a commercial. That's things of the past. It's all automated. It's all pre-recorded for the most part. And they just hit a little thing and a wave file plays over the air. Pretty amazing. But he said, the one thing we don't want, he said, we can deal with, if you've ever heard once in a while, one time I told him when we were there, I said, you know, what happens when, like one time I was listening to MacArthur and he kept on saying the same sentence over for like, you know, 20 minutes. It's like he got stuck and it just kept on looping. Yeah, he goes, that happens. That's when the alarms go off. But sometimes on the weekends, nobody's here. So he goes, we have a way of dialing in a number remotely and be able to reset the program. But he said, we're not, we don't care about that as long as there's something going on the air. But the FCC, the one thing they require is that we don't have just dead air. We can't have dead air. We can't have a radio station you turn to and there's nothing happening. And he said, because if that happens on a frequent basis, what happens? People tune you out. So when you correct that problem, you may be broadcasting full force 24-7. But you know what? If they tune you out, they're not going to be hearing you. So it's important to understand that when we teach the word of God, my question to you is, are you tuned in? Are you hearing what's being taught? These aren't fairy tales. These aren't, you know, five quick little easy lessons on life or whatever. This is the word of God given to us by Almighty God, the Holy Word of God. And so when we come together as a church, we need to prepare our hearts. We need to be ready. Come here on a Sunday morning ready to worship Him. Because if you're not tuned in, you're going to miss it. It's not that it's not being done. 
But you're going to miss it. I pray that the church of God would wake up on this issue. Because so many times people straggle in on a Sunday morning. They're dragging their feet. And it's like, whoa, just give me something to get me through the week, Pastor. Once again, it's back to that, what are you going to do for me today? We should be here Sunday mornings, and I'll say this for the the regular attenders here, early, eager to worship God. None of this strolling in at 10 o'clock, and whoo, made it, or 10.05. And I see some of you coming up from the parking lot, and you see me coming over, and they're like, ah, we've got to beat the pastor. We beat the pastor. We're not late. (laughs) We should be here early. Why? Because what goes on here week after week is of major, major importance to your spiritual welfare and your spiritual care. Come prepared. What do I mean? You know what? Go to bed early Saturday night. So you're, you get a full night's rest Saturday night. So when Sunday morning comes, man, you wake up and you're excited that you're coming to a place where the Word of God is taught and you can fellowship with God's people. And be edified in your faith. Don't you be staying up till 2, 3 in the morning. What is that about? That just shows immaturity on your part as a believer. That just shows disrespect for what's going on here on a Sunday morning. Well, that's not important. I got other things that are more important. We need to come with our hearts prepared. To receive the teaching of God's word, which is able to edify, which is able to build you up, to convict, to encourage your hearts. This book, beloved, is not like any other book. It's a living book. It's an active book. It has a way of transforming your life when you apply it to your life. It's able to meet your deepest needs, your deepest desires, your deepest cries, your deepest wants. It's able to give you guidance from above. But for preaching and teaching to be effective, someone has to be tuned in. We can't be sleeping through the message. You're not disrespecting me. Some people would say you are. But you know what? You're disrespecting a holy God. And if you're okay with that, well, you go for it. There's some people in the New Testament that disrespected God in some ways. And you, know, you find out what happened to them. I don't want to go down that road. And I'm sure you don't either. We need to be committed to what God has called us to do. Secondly, we need to have a commitment to God's will. We need to have a commitment as a disciple to God's will, not our own will. Often the reason not for not finding that kind of commitment in the local church is that the church itself doesn't really understand what it means to be Christian or to be a disciple of Christ. They've watered down everything to the point where, hey, just come one, come all, let's sing Kumbaya and go home. Don't talk about the holiness of God. Don't talk about heaven. Definitely don't talk about hell. Don't talk about the blood of Christ or sin. That might offend somebody. That's not what God has called us to do. That's not his will for us. The Bible tells us what his will is as a disciple. He says, don't, do not 
forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the habit of some. And that's how that goes. That's how that works. You know, you miss one Sunday, it's easy to miss the next Sunday. You miss the next Sunday, it's easy to miss the third Sunday. Pretty soon, you haven't been here for a month and a half. And you're scratching your head going, gee, nobody's called me. (laughs) Are we committed to doing God's will in our own personal lives? Are we committed to seeking disciples? That's the third thing. When Jesus called his disciples, he was careful to warn them about what they would face. He didn't water things down at all. Matter of fact, he made it rather difficult for them. He talked about a narrow gate in a narrow way. He talked about your own family, as we read this morning, maybe turning against you because you're following Christ. You're going to be persecuted. Why did he do that? He did that to get the half-hearted people out of the way, basically. That's exactly why he did it. He doesn't want half-hearted people. He wants people that want to follow him with a whole heart. And you know what? The same challenge that was before our Lord, the same challenge that he passed on to his apostles, is the same challenge that we face as a church and as Christians today. To find people who are willing and eager to respond in obedience to the teaching of God's word. No matter what. No matter what the cost. We have to be committed to seek those kind of disciples. I don't want to just fill this church up with people. We could do that. Some churches give away five bucks. I've heard churches that take up the offering and then they give the offering away to the visitors. I mean, it's crazy some of the things they come up with. They got all sorts of days. You got friend day, you got this day, you got that day. I mean, why do you need these gimmicks? Are we committed to seek disciples or not? Secondly, or fourthly, a commitment to follow Christ. A true disciple means that the person commits to follow Jesus Christ. You say, well, that's not rocket science. Tell me something I don't know. I mean, sometimes people feel that they got to, you know, there's a certain necessity of dedication in the Christian walk. And that's true. In some churches, you can see the same people coming down because they give an altar call every every week. The people are coming forward. Why? Wow, I got to rededicate my life, Pastor. I got to recommit myself. I got to reconsecrate. I got I got to re everything. See, the essence of dedication, the essence of commitment and consecration to Christ, to be set apart or to be sanctified in Him is what Matthew chapter 10, verses 24 to 42 is all about. It's about willing to give everything to follow Christ. That's the kind of commitment we're talking about. Fifthly, a commitment to learn and teach the essentials. To learn and teach the essentials. Anybody that's a teacher knows that sometimes, you know what, you you, you have a certain illustration or you have a certain way of saying things that people just seem to get it. And so what happens? When you use that again, you repeat it. I mean, sometimes people say, well, you know, we've gone over this before. Hey, I don't make any apologies for that. We need to hear it. Sometimes we need to hear things over and over and over and over again. And that's what Jesus did here with this teaching in Matthew chapter 10. He taught it over and over and over again. Same theme is in Matthew 16, Luke 14, John 8, 12, 15, all over the place. 
Scripture says that we learn precept upon precept, line upon line. That's what Isaiah 28, 10 says. So Jesus taught the essentials of gospel truth many times, in different ways, many times. And one of his favorite subjects was discipleship. There's people in the past, you think of folks like Florence Nightingale, who was a 19th century nursing pioneer. She wrote in her diary this. Listen to what she said. Today I am 30. At the age Christ began his mission. Now, no more childish things. Now, Lord, let me think only of thy will. And this woman, Florence Nightingale, had a reputation of keeping nothing back from God. That's what God is after. That's what he's talking about here in Matthew 10. You think of somebody like Jim Elliot. We've all read the story of Jim Elliot, the, the missionary of the Yaka Indians. When he was alive before they killed him down in Ecuador, he wrote in his diary this, God, I pray thee, light these idle sticks of my life and may I burn up for thee. Consume my life, my God, for it is thine. I seek not a long life, but a full one, like you, Lord Jesus. Did God answer his prayer? You sure did. That's exactly what he got. He was a young man when he was witnessing to the Aka tribe down there, and an Indian threw a spear and, and took him out. Think of someone like Jonathan Edwards who wrote this. I have been before God and have given myself all that I am and I have to God so that I am not in any respect my own. Edwards was a man who belonged absolutely to God. That's the kind of commitment we're talking about. That's what God wants out of us. Let's look at our text in Matthew chapter 10 in verse 24. The ABCs of discipleship. There's some basic things that we need to understand about discipleship. The first thing is a disciple is a follower of Christ in the context in which we're talking. That's what he says in Matthew 10, 24. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. A disciple is a follower of Christ. First of all, he claims a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The twelve apostles were the immediate primary audience for Jesus when he was teaching in this context. And they were to be sent out at this time for a, a short span of time in their first missionary journey, you might say. And to prepare them for the final commissioning after his resurrection, he sent them out kind of like an internship. Hey, I'm going to tell you some things. You're going to go out and you're going to do it. And then you're going to go back and then we're going to talk about it. And we've talked about how this context, because at the end of verse 23 it says, Till the Son of Man returns, the second coming of Christ. We talked about how this context here in Matthew 10 kind of broadens out. It, it, it looks into the future. It not only has an immediate teaching and application for the apostles, but it even carries over into the church age. And it even carries over into the tribulation time until the Son of Man comes. 
So the Lord's teaching telescopes out, and it encompasses all those who would ever follow him. This teaching isn't just for the disciples, it's for us as well. In verse 24, he uses that word disciple, and it emphasizes a broad scope of his audience. He's no longer talking about the 12 apostles. He's talking to them, and it applies to them, but he's also including everybody else who is going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And you can see that as you look at the different words he uses from verse 24 forward, referring to disciples and people who follow him. He calls them slaves. He calls everyone. He says whoever, he who. Uh, there's a bunch of different ways that he relates. And you can see the, the rather than just call them the apostles, now all of a sudden he's broadening his scope of teaching. But he claims, a disciple claims to have a relationship, be a follower of Christ and be a, have a relationship with him. Secondly, he counts the cost. A disciple counts the cost. He made a point of presenting the cost of discipleship right up front. It would be to God that we would do that when we're sharing salvation with people. So many times we go out and we share our faith and we make it sound so rosy and so good, which it is, but somehow we leave out this aspect of cost and taking up the cross and follow, well, we don't want to give that to them at that point. Kind of want to suck them in and then, you know, he can tell them about this stuff. It's almost like we're a used car salesman or something like that. It's ridiculous. Jesus was never that way. I love the honesty and the openness of Jesus. Right up front, man, he just threw it out there. You want to follow me? Here's what it's going to take. Because it doesn't do anybody any good, beloved, to go out and to water down the gospel and, and to, to, to kind of shove the cost that it's going to take someone to follow Christ, put that aside because we just want people converted to Christ. That's all that matters. That's not all that matters. Remember, Jesus said... He didn't say, go into the world and convert everybody. He said, go into the world and make disciples. Big difference. We're not just trying to get somebody to pray a prayer. We're trying to get someone to follow Christ. And you're not going to do that in an authentic way if you don't share the entire truth with them. We don't do anybody any favors... By trying to get him or her just to make a decision so that we can walk away from this and say, oh, God, use me mightily. I had him pray this prayer. Or they, you know, now they're a believer. They can't make a decision for Christ apart from understanding what it belongs to Christ and what it will cost. That's why so many false believers are coming into churches today. Because they were never presented with the cost of discipleship. They don't understand what it means to be a follower of Christ. They just think if they get a little warm fuzzy in their heart, well then I'm a, I'm a Christian. Listen to some of the words of Jesus in John six fifty three. He says, except that you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you're going to have no part with me. And at the end of that, in verse 66, he says, From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Jesus meant that his followers must accept his sacrifice on their behalf for salvation. That's what he was talking about. He's not talking about cannibalism. 
He's giving them an illustration that talked about the sacrifice that it was going to take. But they wouldn't accept it. Over in Matthew chapter 8, we've seen this. We've been through this. Uh, verse 19 and 20. It says, A certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't have anywhere to lay his head. And the text implies that Mr. Too Hasty, as I called him when we went through there, didn't follow Jesus at all. Because he wasn't willing to deprive himself of his earthly comforts. A little later on in that same passage, Matthew 8, 21 and 22, another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, first let me go home and bury my father. But Jesus said, follow me and let the dead bury the dead. Let the spiritually dead bury the dead. That's what he was saying. He said, that doesn't concern you. And you say, well, that sounds kind of cruel. Well, you know what? This guy's dad wasn't even dead yet. He's just waiting for the inheritance, as tradition tells us and as history tells us. Mr. Two hesitant. In Luke 9, verse 61 to 62, we find Mr. Two homesick said, Another also said, Lord, I'll follow you, but first let me go home and bid them farewell who are at my house. And Jesus said, And no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. What did Jesus mean? He was communicating the discipleship for this guy involved severing family ties. Sometimes that's what discipleship requires. In some cultures, you come to Christ when Christianity isn't a religion. Literally, they divorce you. They have a funeral for you and you are no longer part of their family. And we think we got it bad because maybe we talk to our brother-in-law or sister-in-law or sister too much or whatever and they don't come over for Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> Can you imagine being divorced from your family? Treated as if you were dead? Because of your discipleship to Christ. See, the way that leads to eternal life, beloved, is narrow. It's narrow. It's not a broad way. It's not a wide gate. It's a narrow gate. And there's going to be few that find it. Because there's a cost. And people aren't willing to pay the cost. That's how the Lord presented discipleship. That's how the Lord presented the gospel. He didn't sugarcoat it. He was willing to tell people what sometimes they didn't want to hear. So a disciple is a follower of Christ. Secondly, a disciple is treated like Christ. A disciple is treated like Christ. It says in verse 24, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor the servant above his Lord. A disciple is treated like Christ because he is an, he's associated with his teacher. He's associated with his teacher. By the time Jesus reached verse 24 in his teaching, basically the apostles have been told the following things. First of all, you're going to be sheep thrown in among ravenous wolves, verse 16. Verse 17 says you're going to be scourged. Verse 18 tells them you're going to be dragged before pagan courts. Verse 21 says you're going to be persecuted by your own families. Verse 22 basically says everybody's going to hate you. And in verse 23 says, just keep running from city to city. 
to avert the hatred that you're going to receive. So in verse 24, Jesus begins teaching on the cost of discipleship. And he gives two examples. First of all, a disciple is not above his teacher. And secondly, nor a slave above his master. Jesus' disciples were not to expect to be expected, they were expected to be treated no differently than what Christ was. That's part of a relationship with Jesus. You're going to be treated like he was treated. He gives the first example there. Look at it. A student-teacher relationship. Those of you in school or went to school or whatever we all have, you know what, it, what the difference is between a student and a teacher, hopefully. If you don't, you're not going to last in the class very long. If you walk in the first day of class and you go up and you say, excuse me, professor, could you have a seat? I'm going to teach the class. I don't think you're going to be in that class very long. You probably won't get a passing grade. See, students learn what their teachers tell them. That's what the role is. That's the role that they take by choice. Since you're placing yourself under the teacher's instruction, obviously you can't be above the teacher. So he clearly points that out. Secondly, he talks about a slave and a master relationship. In the culture, a slave was chosen. He was bought by his master. He had no choice. You know, he couldn't get up in the morning and say, you know, sorry, I don't feel like uh, feeding the cows today. Why don't you do it yourself, master? It didn't work that way. No choice. He had to obey whatever the master said. The master was always above the slave. What he's pointing out here is that as a disciple of Jesus Christ, we have to be subservient to Christ as Lord. Just like students obey according to their choice of position, I'm a student, you're the teacher, I've got to listen to what you're going to say. And slaves obey by the compulsion of their position. They don't have any choice in the matter, they were chosen. We choose to be disciples and learn at the feet of Jesus, but he first sovereignly chose us to be his slaves. So we have an association with the teacher. Secondly, the disciples treated like Christ because he acts like his teacher. In Luke 6, verse 40, it says, A pupil or a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. That's the goal of teaching someone. That they would learn that you'd be able to pass on to them what you know. 1 John 2.6 This is before the text that we read this morning. He that abides, he that, he that says he abides in him ought himself also so to walk. Even as who? He walked. So if you're saying that you're abiding in Christ, that you're a Christian, well you might want to compare your walk with the walk of Christ. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. We're to be dominated with the word of Christ. We're to be dominated with God's word so that we can become more and more and more like him. And then in Matthew 10.27, Jesus says, What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. We say what he said. Our message is none other than what 
Jesus' messages. We don't go out and make up our own message. I don't come here on a Sunday morning and say, okay, let's see, open to the book of Stephanus and I'm going to teach you from my book this morning. How do you like that? I don't do that. Why? Because that's not true. The only truth we have in today's world is this book. That's why we exalt it. That's why we hold it up. That's why we strive with every fiber of our being to understand it and to teach it and to pass it on. And also in 1 John 3, 2, it says, We know that when He is revealed, we shall be like who? Like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. The goal of all the Christian life is conformity to Christ's likeness, as we said earlier. The result is that the world will treat Christians like it treated Christ. The disciples of a persecuted teacher will also be persecuted. That's what Jesus promised. The person who is increasingly like Christ in their walk will be treated increasingly like Him. In Matthew 10, 24, Jesus clearly tells us that if we aren't willing to come to Him on those terms, don't even come. (laughs) Don't bother. Because there's no other way. We have to Remind ourselves of these basic truths. A disciple is a follower of Christ. A disciple is going to be treated like Christ was treated. And thirdly, a disciple is content to be like Christ. It says there in verse 25, look at what it says. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? The teaching here is basically a true disciple is content to be like his teacher. Just like a true slave would be content to be like his Lord. That Greek word there translated enough. It's interesting. It means sufficient. Disciples of Christ don't try to escape what their Lord couldn't escape. See, the problem with the church today is we have so many Christians that aren't willing to face persecution. They don't go there. You say, well, I don't see that. I think people are committed. Take the simple thing of sharing your faith boldly. When's the last time you've done it? Boldly. Not slipping somebody a track, you know, as you leave them a tip. Hope you read it, you know. I mean boldly confronting somebody with the gospel, the truth of the gospel. Why don't we just do that all the time? Because there's a fear. What is the fear? The fear of rejection. I have it. You have it. We all have it. And what he's saying here is, don't try to escape what the Lord couldn't escape. They're going to reject you. They're going to persecute you. They're going to hurl insults at you. They're going to do all sorts of evil against you. That doesn't mean you stop doing what God has called you to do. It is sufficient for a disciple to live like and be treated like Christ was treated. That's what Paul's prayer was in Philippians 3.10. If he would truly know Christ in the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul didn't get down on his knees and say, Lord, please let the world love me more so I could have a bigger audience to share you with them. Help me be famous, Lord, so I could reach out into the Hollywood crowd. 
Help me just to be accepted. He didn't pray any of that. Because he knew that if he was going to be successful in pursuing Christ with everything he had within, part of that was knowing and experience how the world would treat him, and it wasn't going to be pleasant. A number, a number of times Jesus was said that he was to be working for the devil. We looked at it in Matthew 9. Happens again in Matthew 12. That's what he's pointing out here. If they're saying that Jesus does, does these works, Jesus is saying, if they're, if they're saying, I do these works, these miraculous signs and whatever, by the work of Satan, don't you think that when you go out there and you start doing this, that they're not going to hurl these same things your way? You're going to be treated just like me. He is the master of the house. And his disciples, them of his household, we're going to expect the same thing. See, a believer, a disciple, is somebody who must be willing to pay the cost of being conformed to Jesus Christ. That's the goal of discipleship, Christ-likeness. That means the followers of Christ will be treated like their master. John thirteen sixteen. It said, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. In John 15, verses 18 to 21, it says, if the Lord hated you, or hates hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word, the word that I said to you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my sayings, they will keep yours also. But all things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him who sent me. Those are the words of Christ. John 16, 2, the same. The time come, is coming that whoever kills you will think that they're doing God's service. We can't relate to that here in America, but you know what, beloved? We're getting closer and closer and closer to a time that maybe we will have a little more relations. We'll be able to relate to persecution a little more. See, in spite of the world's treatment, in spite of how all this comes in on us at times, God moves the hearts of people to redeem them. That's how God works. It's not us, it's Him. Many of us, when we became a Christian, it was through what we saw in another believer. We saw God change somebody's life. And we wanted part of that. We saw the joy, the peace, the freedom of guilt, the sense of forgiveness, the hope of eternal life that attracted that person to Christ. And we're attracted to that. While at the same time, it's distasteful to so many when they begin to understand there's a cost in this. God calls us to follow Him with our whole hearts. And my question to you this morning is, are you doing that? Have you given up everything to follow the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, what do you mean everything? That means 
You know what? Maybe if you speak out boldly on behalf of Christ, folks at the, maybe the people in my case at the coffee shop, they kick me out of there. I don't know. So I'm preaching this to me as well as I'm preaching it to you. I'm not saying I, I've attained to this. I'm, we're all in process. Well, you know, you don't want to overdo it. You don't want to become some radical. Why not? Why not? What, 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 why? What, what's it going to Is it going to hurt, hurt, hurt your feelings when people don't want to have anything to do with you anymore? See, the whole mentality today is that, well, we got to build bridges. So we got to build bridges with people. And, you know, over 15 years, maybe we're building this bridge. And, you know, we just slip in little things here and there. That's what I love about Jesus. He just let it all out. Just gave it to him on the first meeting. Either you're going to love me or you're going to hate me, but here it is. See, I respect somebody a lot more than if I could just share with them boldly what Christ could do for them and their, their state of sinfulness and just throw it out there to them. I mean, if they don't want to be my friend after that, I don't want to be their friend. I mean, I've, I've shared things... With, with folks at times that I'm thinking, well, that guy won't talk to me again. <laughs> Last time we'll bring that subject up. But you know what? They come back. They come back. Why? Because it's truth. And they're driven to it. I mean, you can build a bridge with somebody in two minutes if you have a personality. And then cut right to the chase. I mean, if they don't want to talk about their sin and, and how they need Christ, well, what, what are you going to talk about, the 49ers? I mean, what else is he going to talk about? I'm not saying to be rude. I'm not saying to be obnoxious. But cut right to the chase. At least you know where they're at. And they know where you're at. Then you pray that God will take that truth and work in their heart and draw them to himself. And maybe if we're bolder in our witness for Christ, maybe he will actually use us the moment he's drawing them to be there at that opportune time to share with them how they can come to personally know Christ. And you can walk away saying, wow, God used me to make this transformation possible, incredible. It's not us, it's him working through us. We need to remember that. But are you tuned into him? Are you tuned into his word? Are you coming here week after week after week ready to hear the word of God? Are you excited about it? I pray that you are. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Lord, we pray that you would do a work in each heart here this morning. Lord, that we wouldn't be complacent in our faith, that we wouldn't grow cold and callous toward you as our teacher, as our master, as our Lord, but Lord, that you would generate in us an excitement that's genuine. It's not like a helium balloon that's there and then pops and is all gone but something that lasts. And only your spirit can do that in the hearts and lives of your people. Lord, if there's anybody here this morning who is wavering in their commitment to you, who is maybe even yet to put their faith in you, Lord, I pray that you would, through the conviction of your spirit, through the conviction of your word, draw them to yourself. I pray that you would show them the state of their own sinfulness. Everybody in this building has sinned at one time or another. We've fallen short of God's glory. There's not one of us that could say, well, yes, I deserve to be in heaven because I am absolutely perfect. <laughs> I am sinless. 
There was only one person who was ever sinless, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he died on the cross, he died for all of our sins. He died for everyone who was willing to come and put their faith and trust in him for their salvation. We can't save ourselves. Churches don't save you. Doing good works don't save you. Being a good person doesn't save you. Doing good deeds doesn't save you. There's only one thing that will save you from your sin, from an eternity spent in a God-awful place called hell. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ, His sacrifice, His blood. I pray that you would come to Him today, cry out to Him, be merciful to me, a sinner, Lord. Save me. For us believers, I pray that we would get a little more unction in our spirits and a little more emphasis in our lives on Christ. Sometimes we need to be refocused from this world into what really matters. There's only two things that are eternal here in this world. The word of God and the souls of men and women and kids. I pray that we would be serious about reaching a lost and dying world with the saving message of the gospel. Father, we thank you and we pray you bless the rest of our day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.